You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses add value and prepare for the future. Uh, welcome to another one in the series of Trowers and Hamlins podcast on positive influences. Today, we're delighted to have Jaden Ali, who's the founder and director of JA Projects, uh, an architectural practice. Hi, Jaden. How are you? I am good, Sarah. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, as I've said, you're, you're the founder and director of JA Projects. Could you just explain a little bit about what you do and the, a bit about what the, what the business is trying to achieve? Well, we're a practice, a studio, and we're intentionally called Projects to keep our remit quite broad. But we exist at the meeting point between architecture, art, performance, like urban design, and our wider ambitions and our interests, I suppose, is to deal with public architecture, not necessarily public contracts, but architecture that has a public offering. So across the table, we at the moment and our desks, we have everything from a master planning for 15,000 new homes in Thamesmead to uh, designing the V&A's forthcoming show retrospective on menswear. And we've got housing in between. We're delivering 15 new terrace houses. We're renovating Newham's flagship market, which looks much more like a bus depot. All of these things exist at that kind of public meeting point. And I, I suppose I was thinking about this yesterday and our, my interest and our interest of, of the practice is at those moments where, where culture resides and culture in all of its many forms whether that be a marketplace or whether that be high and higher culture in quotation marks like the like the vna but i think that's where the messiness of of life becomes unpacked and also to explore how things are made at those kind of junctions and that's what we're concerned with the kind of the built output of of the world that kind of comes from all of the immaterial stuff that makes and gives kind of color to life that's really interesting. I think, and, and how design and the built environment, but actually, I think maybe wider than that because of, of what your practice is looking at in terms of that, I suppose, crossroads between culture, culture and design output. You've got some really, just as you just said, some really interesting projects. Uh, and, and can you talk us through some of the a couple of the recent things you've worked on and what the inspiration is behind it and how you brought those things together? Yeah. Maybe it's worth unpacking some of them. I maybe unpack those those projects I just mentioned. The, the V&A one is at the forefront of my mind because it's it's upcoming. So hopefully everyone goes to maybe this comes out before and everyone can go and see it. Yeah, definitely. But you know, it's a it's a reflection on on menswear, but it's also trying to contextualize the garments and the objects that, that have been made, whether they're contextualized within the kind of framing of representation and if you go to the vna there are kind of the sculpture halls are, are traditionally mm. full of white bodies and white male bodies and it's called fashioning masculinities which inherently poses the questions of gender and representation there or it's about a transition into kind of modernity and how the city has impacted clothes and the, the culture of production or overproduction or extractive principles that underpin the fabrication of the fashion industry and textiles, but also reflect upon the kind of city that we live in. There are also other projects that we're working on. So we're working on two projects across the low line, which is this slightly more modest ambition to activate a railway line across 
in South London. It takes its name from the High Line, the kind of yeah. famous High Line in New York. But it's a low, a lo-fi and low trajectory alternative, and it's about stitching places along this railway viaduct, which is still the longest continuous stretch of brick arches in Europe, that runs every all the way from Bankside down to through Bermondsey and 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 through the, and, in, and on to Camberwell, and that stuff is about dealing with all of the political issues attached to the railway arches and the occupation of the railway arches and the transition from um, more polluting industries and car mechanics to greener industries. We're working with Better Bankside, who's kind of a business improvement district, and they've got this green and environmental sustainability hub that has occupied some of the arches. So we're riffing on the bit of that, provides a little bit of an anchor space, but it's about the regeneration of the air, these areas adjacent to these arches upon green and social principles. And that's about supporting the businesses that are there, supporting them from COVID recovery, but also helping some of the businesses transition to more green industry. But alongside that, there are also kind of issues that come out, which means that these areas are really difficult areas for to feel safe for women and girls safety. And so we've held walking tours with, with, with on that subject with specialists in that in that area. And it's not necessarily it wasn't necessarily conveyed to us in the brief that we've kind of made that brief for our for ourselves. And I think we do that quite often in our projects. We're trying to find a way in which we can kind of comment on the status of contemporary society and be at the kind of tall end of kind of the, the top end of innovation in, in that realm. And it, it might not be kind of historically technical innovation, but I think it's innovation that might lead to a shift in our profession and a shift in our profession results and a shift in the way that we occupy and inhabit cities. So, so looking at that, obviously, big, big topic at the moment um, in the world is climate change and sustainability. How, how has that impacted on those sort of projects that you're doing? So the, the low line, for example, in terms of how you're bringing something like that in, into being, how does that sustainability angle impact on that or climate change? I mean, the Lowline project is a, is primarily a public realm project. So that's about urban greening, effectively, or sustainable modes of, of drainage, sustainable yeah. drainage systems. And similar, it's a, the Lowline project is twofold in our world. It's a, it's a project for Bankside. It's also a project further along in Southwark, in Camberwell. There are other projects in which we're, it's at the forefront of our agenda in every single project that we do. We, we have to consider it. It needs a concerted effort. It affects the communities that we're concerned with, whether that's in the kind of the example of the VNA again, trying to kind of use, think about reuse strategies before we start designing. So we have these huge hanging drapes, but actually how can they be turned into garments? Um, but we're also delivering these housing, this these 14 how, terraced housing for Suffolk. And I was talking to the team recently and saying, do we really want to be committing our time and energy to a kind of mode of construction that we know inherently is outdated? Is there a way in which these low-rise houses that don't have the supposed virus attached to them that high-rise homes do, can they point a way forward? Can we, can we be more innovative in this space? Whether that's about using timber construction or it's about using kind of uh, structural earth bricks, can we, we must do something in this space. And similarly with our Queen's Market project in Newham, which historically was a street market and in the 60s or 70s the borough decided to put a roof on this so it reads far more like a bus depot 
that's really about working with the structures that are already there on the understanding that the greenest building is one that already exists the embodied carbon that exists in those in those buildings must be a kind of the driving factor of how we deal with them and how we renovate them and how we repurpose them for the future and similarly we're working we've been working with a really great practice called freehouse on a what i would describe as a kind of high street and town center renewal project which is turning the derelict shopfront retail unit into a youth hub and that's about reimagining what the high street yeah. could be like a high street kind of post retail or you know high street with a with an explicit social agenda as well as the kind of implicit social kind of apparatus and infrastructure that exists on the on the high street and that's about just making use of what's there so can we yeah, because it, it's what's really interesting in this conversation is the passion that comes out uh, when you're talking about these projects and the passion that you've got. So talking a little bit about you and, and, and your interests, how do you look to have a positive influence in, 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 in your world, in what you do? Yeah, uh, I think for me, I'm really interested in mediating the worlds in which we sit in, which, and I think they are varied, but to, I think they are crossed between education and uh, urban design and, and architecture and also the arts and what that feels like and looks like at the kind of intersection i'm really interested we're going through a really interesting moment in the practice at the moment where we're going we're going we're going to deliver projects over the next couple of years and it would be a real shame if those projects looked and feel felt like they didn't they didn't exist at that intersection and we really need to hold, hold that confidently and i think that would bring the wider ambition there is to bring the profession of architecture slightly closer and make it a little bit more accessible to people and communities. You know, when I grew up, people didn't look and sound like me. Yeah. And the profession is a really big part of my my agenda, which is um, is to kind of show that it's possible and also say that with it being possible, there are a whole different set of concerns that are brought to the fore and to be addressed in the agendas and it's entirely okay and indeed it should be advocated that we put forward visions that progress those those agendas and that's why you know for a long for a long period of time i existed in a world of education and i think it's a really valuable space to be in valuable space to hold um but i but i also think role models are really important and i would love to kind of produces successful practice and i think we do have a successful practice that um speaks to the art of the possible and that's also why i'm i'm involved with yourself in an open city and open house that's about making the city more accessible to yeah. to everyone and i think it's not just the city it's the process of city making making that process more accessible and saying that you can partake in its development and a lot of our projects reflect the ethos of open city. It's about collaboratively producing spaces. A lot of them are built upon the principles of co-design, whether that is the low line project or that is the Queen's Market project. We have spent hours and hours speaking to hundreds of people playing games. Um, I think it's about bridging the gap, basically, and telling people that here's a space where you feel comfortable and bringing the conversation to them. Yeah, and that, that that space is their space, and it's something that they can be can be proud of as well. I think it's, it's the accessibility bit, which I think is really important. So, 
we're asking a number of people this this question, but but what is the I suppose either the best piece of advice or the most re best recent piece of advice you've actually been given in either your life or your career? I mean, there are all there are the, there are the standard ones like be persistent and don't give up and all of that stuff. And I think that stuff rings true. You know, I think you really must do that. You must also be have confidence that you bring something to the table that you have value. And someone gave me that piece of advice only yesterday. But another piece of advice that I've been toying with most recently, and it's very difficult, I guess. So I feel incredibly um, privileged to be supported by so many good friends and colleagues that I see as mentors as well. And I'm always asking them for advice and they're always offering me advice. And um, Steve McAdam Salnins told me that it, it would be really useful to keep what he's learned in his years of doing kind of community engagement or, or projects that uh, uh, have community at their center is to keep hold of the kind of big vision and not worry too much about the, the little things. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a really, that's a, I mean, there's risk attached to that piece of advice, which is you don't want all of the little things do make up the whole. So, so you need to keep that in mind. But it's also about keeping in mind what your agenda is and whether you're meeting your agenda because you can't do everything. And yeah. keeping those kind of core values close is, is a really important thing to, to hold. And I think that, that bit of advice is really interesting because I was given something very similar, which is like, don't get lost in the weeds. Make sure you don't get lost in the weeds of it. You actually bring yourself higher up and look down and see what's going on. And I think that that's something I've always held close to my heart because it's you can get easily drawn into the weeds in a way. Sometimes. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing when you're running a practice yeah. um, and it has, you know, and you're its principal and, you know, you're responsible for everything that goes out yeah. the door. <laughs> like that's, that's a tough, tough place to be in. You want to check every every drawing, but actually you need to give people space to grow. And and hopefully I think the value in, in running the practice is, is setting the tone and, and the agenda, as well as making sure there's a certain level of quality that comes out. But you know, the projects will be judged. I suppose the projects for, for me as well is not the output. You know, I was going to say the projects would be judged in the end, but the, I don't want that to be ambiguous. It's not necessarily the built output. The project is also the process. Yeah. Like, work with the social value that's delivered during there's so much money that so much capital that goes into the production of a project that surely the process should have value as much as the output and yeah. that's kind of why we call j projects because we see that as a kind of really valuable valuable moment so keeping the kind of higher agenda of the project on the whole at the forefront of one's mind and not getting lost in kind of the little parts of it is, yeah. is one that I'm trying to stick to. The weeds, less weeds. Less weeds. Uh, so often you know, the challenges we all have in life and challenges that, that, that somehow help define who we are throughout our life and they will change as you go on. But are there, would you say there are some key events that have helped you define your outlook? Yeah, I would actually. I think one of them was my setting. So I, I grew up in East London. I grew up on Hackney Road, really close to Shoreditch. You know, tail end, early, uh, like mid 2000s, this was a quite a happening place. It's changed yeah. quite, quite a lot, but it was a place in which you were exposed to artists. You were exposed to write innov really innovative forms of culture, really innovative forms of sub subculture of um, self-publicizing and you know, pirate radio was a big part of of my life and be, being in the space where young people were really giving them themselves, taking it upon themselves to have a voice, literally projecting their voices into the 
airwaves and saying that we belong here and also building a community of people of like-minded people. So I think that kind of subcultural exposure is, is really kind of a founding principles and that DIY nature of things is a really kind of core founding principle of, of, of our practice, uh, I would say. And that intersection between uh, and holding that, that relationship to artistic mm. output performance is a, is a really big deal. The other, I think, is I was a play worker for a time. So during my undergrad, I, I worked for the charity school, which is, is sadly kind of not there anymore. And it's a school for children with behavioral difficulties. And I worked there three afternoons a week. And my job was literally to pick up these children who were being partitioned in this separate school for naughty kids, to put it in a kind yeah. of slightly more frank way, and take them out to play across the borough of Tower Hamlets with other children. And the journeys to the, these play provisions, we take them to adventure playgrounds. Sometimes I would take them just to a park to climb a tree. One time I had this child, i never forget it, he loved trains. And I took him to King's Cross and they let, me, they let him on the Eurostar platform. And, the, the, and he'd never seen the Eurostar before. And the Eurostar train, the, the train driver beeped at him. And he was absolutely ecstatic that the train had beeped at him. He was jumping around on this platform. And just being exposed to, to, I think what that's done is said there's a value of play, there's a value of performance, there's a value of kind of action, of, of living and breathing and being active within the city that is really, really valuable and that we want to, to hold. And I think that's why our work has a performative element to it. And, and that performance comes through the stuff that we make, but also the way in which we engage. And to give you an example of that, on our Camberwell Station Road project, which is part of the Lone Line. We worked really hard to convince the local authority that our collaborative mode of engagement would be to teach the young pupils from the neighboring Sacred Heart School how to give a walk-in tour. And you'll know walk-in tours quite well, right? Yeah, because yeah. Because we're well yeah. open, open city. But one of our kind of team members, Cameron Bray, has been kind of delivers tours for open city. So I said, you know, Cameron, you must teach these young people to, to give a walking tour. And if we can pull this off, it'll be amazing. And just before Christmas, only after two sessions, eight young people gave the most fantastic walking tour. And it was a ruse. You know, we invited the community down to talk about parking and traffic and renovations to their street. And But we said it starts at 12 and it's going to kick off with this walking tour. And it's was an amazing pageant of 50 odd people that come to stress about parking, walking down the street and the young people were collecting the mechanics from the arches as they walked across. And actually those four principles that they were dealing with, which was kind of greening and safety and commerce. And there was one other that, uh, that's, that slips my mind at the moment is informing these kind of set of beacons, these kind of this built output that is a, is a relic of their action and their occupation. And, that is so so directly related to my experience as a play worker, so directly related to my exposure to pirate radio and subcultures of East London and projecting one's voice. So um, along may it continue. No, that sounds fantastic. And those, yeah, those kids, they'll remember that forever. That'll be something that I hope will so. really will. Be, I think that's amazing. So lastly, um, we're asking everyone in the series the same question, which is what one thing would you like to positively influence over the next year or the next five years? I think this is just about a paradigm shift in the profession. I truly would like to have a role in, in reorienting the, the profession so that it is more firmly rooted in a culture of equality and access and 
challenge the processes of extraction that permeate the built environment or the professions of the built environment. Extraction, whether that be development and commerce and the moving of people and the disruption of communities, but also extraction from a sustainability perspective, because and the understanding that this is our this is our legacy and that actually we'd all benefit from it. And it's not necessarily it's not anti-development. We're very much pro development. I want to be part of that conversation. I think it's about change from within and also demonstrating change, which is why we work so hard to broaden the, the scope of our briefs quite often and demonstrate that there is a broader broader value. Thank you so much, um, Jason. I think I, I've genuinely found that a fascinating discussion. And in fact, so much so that I, w- I want to come and see your studio and, and see more about what you're doing. And the low line, yeah, it's something that I, I know about from a different angle I know about the low line. And I'm, I find that project really fascinating. So thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks so much. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.